Brothers and sisters, we open the Word of God first in the Old Testament and then in the New. We first turn to the book of Proverbs, and we read from Proverbs 8 to verses 32 through 36. Then we go on to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and chapter 12, and in the New Testament we read from James chapter 1. But first, Proverbs 8, that beautiful chapter about the blessings of wisdom. The wisdom personified, of course, in the Lord Jesus Christ. A wisdom that God wants to share with us. As we read in Proverbs 8, verse 32, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And we now go on to the next book, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, which comes after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes, the preacher, who is speaking to his church, to his congregation, and who addresses them in chapter 5 as follows. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. That's what we also read in the last chapter, chapter 12, the verses 9 through 14. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, 
For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And finally, we turn to the New Testament, to the letter of James. James chapter 1, the verses 19 through 27. James 1, verse 19, again, this is the Word of God. Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So far the reading of God's holy word. Let us now... This afternoon, brothers and sisters, we continue the exposition of the word of God as we summarize it in the Lord's Days of the Heidelberg Catechism. That's where we find the doctrine of salvation expressed and echoed according to God's Word. We have come to Lord's Day 34, which is the Lord's Day that contains the ten words as we heard them this morning. So we won't read them again, but we will read the question and answers that follow. Then the question is asked, how are these commandments divided? into two parts. The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. The second, what duties we owe our neighbor. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayers to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience, expect all good from Him only, and love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against His will. And what is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to 
the one, the only true God, who has revealed himself in his words. That's Lord's Day 34. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from Psalm 119, the stanzas 33 and 36, and we will do so standing. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. With these words of the preacher, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit moves us to worship the Lord with a deep respect. We show this respect in the fact that we come to hear, to listen to the Lord. For in the gathering of his people, the Lord wants to meet his people to speak to them. He wants us to listen to him, to obey his words, that is. So are we doing so? The preacher urges us to examine ourselves, to renew our resolve, to attend to services in the right attitude. So, beloved, how is that? With the Ten Commandments, for instance. Every Sunday we hear the reading of the law. Then the Lord declares his will for our life. He pronounces his ten words for our life in thankfulness for his salvation. How do we experience that moment in our liturgy, in our worship to God? Do we hear his law? Or do we truly listen to it? It's possible, you know, that you just hear it. You might even think at times, nice, eh, that we still do this, hear it every Sunday. There are many churches where they don't do so anymore. Or another member may think, ah, always the same law, read, read in the same way, we should do something about it and bring some variety in it. Then people will listen again. But that's not the way, the wisdom of the Lord, though. The preacher says, guard your steps. Go near to listen. Submit yourself to the law. Examine yourself. Listen attentively, respectfully, with the intention, as James shows us, to be not only a hearer, but even more a doer of the law. How important it is, brothers and sisters, that we apply this exhortation this afternoon. How important it is that we also listen to the law of the Lord in the right attitude, consciously respectfully. You know, just as in the Lord's Supper you can eat and drink judgment to yourself, you can also hear judgment to yourself under the proclamation of the law of God. For the holy God, our covenant Lord, wants to claim your life by his law. He wants you to hear his ten words with your whole heart so that you will wholeheartedly say, that's what I want, Lord. I want to keep your commandments 
I want to obey your will. Help me by your spirit and word to live for you and love you and my neighbor with all my heart, soul, and mind, and all my strength. Why? Because this law is still so important for my life in thankfulness for his deliverance. It shows the way of life. It is the standard for true fruits of life, and it articulates true love in life. And so we confess the continued value of the law of the Lord. That's our theme, our focal point. For the Spirit uses it as guide, our first point. Christ shows it in its depth, our second point. The Father seeks our total love, our third point. So I summarize the message of this afternoon as follows. We confess the continued value of the law of the Lord. The Spirit uses it as guide. Christ shows it in its depth. And the Father seeks our total love. So first of all, the Spirit uses the law as guide. From the Old Testament, brothers and sisters, the value of the law of the Lord is clearly evident. In the lives of the Israelites, the law of God played a major role. Just think of the fact that this law was read in the temple every day, and later on in the synagogue as well. Besides, on every Sabbath day, a priest also would read a part of the Torah, of the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. They used a year's calendar for that, dividing the entire Torah over the Sabbaths in a year. The last reading was done on the last Sabbath of the Feast of Booths. That Sabbath was special, known by its unique name, Simchat Torah, the joy of the Lord, of the law. That's when the last chapters of Deuteronomy were read. However, then they also read the beginning of the book of Genesis again. They did so for symbolic reasons. In that way, they expressed the meaning of the words found in Psalm 119, verse 96. I have seen a limit to everything but your law is infinite, endless. So it was a festive practice, beloved, this reading of the law, and it culminated in a real feast, namely the Simchat Torah, the joy of the law. At that occasion, they rejoiced in the Lord for his law. They sang and danced for the Lord because of his gift of the law. Thus, they celebrated the fact that for another year they had listened to the law of the Lord. They rejoiced because they never got enough of listening to the law, to the commandments of the Lord. Indeed, that's the joy expressed in that longest among the Psalms, Psalm 119. For this law was so valuable to the poet. It was a lamp for his feet and a light on his path. Hearing this law and doing it was the delight of his life. 
And that's what David articulates in Psalm 19 as well. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the eyes. No wonder, beloved, this law, these commandments were so valuable to the people of the Lord. Everyone who lived in the fear of the Lord would hear them, listen to them, and use them as the wisdom for their life. Indeed, the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom, as we heard in Psalm 111, while the law of the Lord was the source of wisdom. And as we read in Proverbs 8, listen to my instruction and be wise. Blessed is the man who listens to me, for whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. At the same time, the wisdom added the words, but whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. So the Lord revealed himself as the God of life to his people. In his law, the Lord expressed his bond with his people, showed his way for his people, and gave them an opportunity to show their love for him and for the neighbor. Question and answer 393 still expresses that same. That's what made the law so valuable. It was instruction unto life, the wisdom and the way of life. Now to us, as New Testament people of the Lord, brothers and sisters, the law is still as valuable or, or more. We are living in a new covenant with the Lord. We are living in the covenant in which the promise of the Holy Spirit is fulfilled, who writes this law on the tablets of our hearts. The Holy Spirit uses this law as a guide to show us this way of life in a great variety of circumstances and situations. As the Lord Jesus stresses so strongly in Matthew 5, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And we confess in Belgian Confession, Article 25, their truth and substance, that is, the truth of the statutes, the ordinances, the decrees, the ceremonies of the, of the Lord, the truth and substance remain for us in Jesus Christ in whom they have been fulfilled. In the meantime, we still use the testimonies taken from the law and the prophets both to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel and to order our life in all honor according to God's will and to his glory. So even though we need no longer keep the letter of the law, the Holy Spirit instructs and equips us as mature New Testament believers to live in accordance with it. Now, with Lord's Day 2, brothers and sisters, we have confessed already 
that the law continues to be valuable, namely, for us to know our sins and misery. Indeed, as much as the Lord had given his law to show his people the way of life, the Israelites found, found out time and time again that they could not keep the law. In the light of the law, their iniquities were glaring. In the mirror of the law, their transgressions and shortcomings were numerous. That's a usage of the law of which Paul writes in Romans 3, through the law, we become conscious of sin. No wonder Paul kept stressing in his epistles to the Romans and to the Galatians that one could not be saved by the keeping of the law. By observing the law, no one will be justified. Galatians 2 verse 16. Indeed, this usage of the law has to bring the sinner to Christ. Christ is the end of the law, the goal of the law, the purpose of the law. Paul writes in Romans 10 verse 4. And in Galatians 2, Paul writes, For through the law... I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Indeed, beloved, the Lord Jesus did something that brought us into a position to which we would have never come on our own. He died for our guilt. When you believe in him, you may know that you have died with him and have been made alive with him. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is portrayed so clearly in his death and resurrection. Thus, we are freed from the curse of the law, from its verdict of condemnation, However, as Christ himself already indicated, and as the Holy Spirit shows time and time again in the writings of the Apostle Paul, the law still instructs us in the way of life, to form and shape our life, and to guide us in the midst of this world as the people of the God of life, to order our life in all honor, according to God's will and to his glory. Again, as we confess in Belgian Confession 25. In his epistle, James calls it still the law of freedom. Just as the Lord gave his law to his people Israel as a guide for their life of freedom in Canaan, so it is a law of freedom for us. Christ has made us free from sin that we may live in the glorious liberty as children of God. This will be the focal point of the prayer service that our brother Herman Van Veen is organizing for May the 4th. This freedom of the children of God, thanks to the work of our Savior. You know, brothers and sisters, it happens sometimes that someone says to me, I wish I could make a new start. Well, in Christ Jesus you do receive a new start through the forgiveness of your sins in his blood and the renewal of your life by his Spirit.
Then, as the Apostle Paul shows in Ephesians 4, knowing Jesus Christ like that, we are renewed to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And we show this to God and our neighbor in a life of obedience to the law of God. That's what the Holy Spirit shows us as he uses the law to help us in this renewal. And so we come to our second point. Then Christ shows the law in its depth. For as I just said, brothers and sisters, Christ makes us free. That's the theme of the Lord's days, 32 to 52. Then from the Lord Jesus himself, we may learn how he directs us in the way toward that freedom. How does he handle the law? How does he show us a new approach to life, to life with God and to life with the neighbor? In Matthew 5, it seems almost as if he declares the law anew in his Sermon on the Mount. Not Mount Horeb, but some mountain in Galilee. Then you hear him approach his law instruction in this way. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Thus he spoke with authority, expounding the continued value and meaning of the law. With authority, he exposes the sharpness and depth of the commandments of God. Sin appears to be much deeper than meets the eye and is much more serious than just the extreme example the Lord mentions in his law. Anger, hatred, stubbornness, lusts, impure desires, and what all leads to sin is part and parcel of the law of God as well. The Lord Jesus also showed that at bottom, it's all a matter of love. The first and greatest commandment is love God. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's at the heart of the commandments of the law instruction of the Lord. Then we learn to see that this love is a fruit of the Spirit of Christ. Through His Spirit, He teaches us that love, and He works the ripening of this love in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships with God and the neighbor. Now it is this love instruction that we find summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism, beloved. It's the details gleaned from the scriptures that are confessed in the coming Lord's days. As the Apostle Paul expresses it, and as we used it as our focal point last week in Ephesians 4, those who have learned Jesus Christ want to show that in their daily life. Want this knowledge, this love to reflect in all the areas of their life. Then the apostle works that out when he says, 
So when you live with Christ, you speak the truth and don't lie anymore. You don't continue in anger for months on end, but you forgive and reconcile. You don't steal, but rather work hard for your living and give financial support to your neighbor. You don't talk foolishness any longer, but encourage one another. You don't live in sexual lust, which is idolatry, but you live a sober and pure life. You won't continue your habit of alcohol abuse, but seek to be full with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. In short, in every aspect of your life, Christ is going to have authority. Not just outwardly, but to the deepest extent of your heart and soul and mind and strength. It's so important, brothers and sisters, that we seek this continued usage of the law of our God. As you know, in our society today, just the adherence to the basic ten words of the covenant leaves a lot to be desired already. In people's lives, the honor and respect of God shows little, if at all, while due to egoism and self-centeredness, the care and concern for the neighbor has eroded a lot. However, when it comes to the deeper meaning of the law as Christ instructed us, its application is pretty much gone, and the knowledge of it has disappeared. You can't use it anymore, people say. It doesn't speak to us any longer the way it used to, they say. Beware, though, that the same mentality rubs off very easily in the church as well. Yes, also among us, it happens more often than we care to admit that members refuse to accept this deeper meaning of the law. Even the literal application, as the Apostle Paul articulates it in Ephesians 4, has been rejected <coughs> as just a cultural thing. For Paul's days, maybe. Also, the instruction from the Scriptures through the proclamation of the Word or via the instruction in certain homes is rejected as, oh, that's just your personal opinion. Against that background, beloved, we should intensify our efforts and increase our attention as we set out with the Lord's days to listen to these Ten Commandments and learn that deeper meaning of God's law for today. Remember, it's His covenant law, the constitution for our life in the covenant with Him, a second part in that covenant, we are called and obliged by the Lord to a new obedience. We are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust Him and to live with Him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. We must not love the world, but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. That's the life the Lord, our covenant God, seeks with us. 
That's the wisdom of life he instills in us by his Holy Spirit. That's also the application and the instruction of the Apostle Paul, who wants the children to obey their parents because they are parents in the Lord. It's the total love the Father seeks with our life. It's true. Who would know that better than our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us the depths of the law, the depths of the love we are to show to God and to our neighbor? Which brings us to our third point. With this law, the Father seeks our total love. <clears throat> our total love. Our total devotion. Our total obedience. All our attention, all honor, yes, the complete authority over our whole life, beloved. That's what the Father is seeking with his law. Immediately following the opening statement, I am the Lord your God who delivered you, the Lord declares that he wants to be the one and all, the only God and the true God in our life. That's why he was called Israel's father, the redeemer of his people, who wanted them to be his children. That's why he sent to us his son, Jesus Christ, in order that we would be delivered from sin and the power of sin, that we should live in the glorious liberty of God's children. He does not want to see us return to slavery. Neither does he want us to have anything or anyone else in our life for whom to live, in whom to trust. By his Holy Spirit, he makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. And from the Old Testament, brothers and sisters, we learn this lesson in the most convincing way. How stubborn the Israelites were when it came to idolatry. If it went wrong anywhere, persistently it was there. Time and again, they bowed, they bowed down before the gods. Though these gods were no gods, Israel believed that their happiness and livelihood depended on the gods that men had made for themselves or developed in accordance with their everyday needs. They are nothing. Nullities, Isaiah calls them in chapter 2. And also Paul calls them vain, useless, these gods of the nations. Yes, Paul does. <clears throat> Writing as he does to the New Testament audience. John also, in 1 John 5, warns the New Testament church for idols. The Lord cannot stand them. His people should not have them. The Lord was aggrieved by the fact that his people trusted other gods. He felt betrayed by their lack of love to him, by their adulterous affection for other gods, their courting and charming of those who could not love. The Lord demanded love for himself. Love showing in obedience to his law because he himself loved his people so much. 
The Lord let them know how sincerely he sympathized with his people. He showed his affectionate care for their needs. He conveyed his compassion by the mouth of the prophets. He loved with a passionate love as a mother loves her children and would not forget his people ever. Yes, so much so that he gave his only son up in love for them to save his people, to redeem them for himself. Beloved, we are to heed the call for love. Heed the commandment against idolatry. The names of the gods may change, but their powers remain. Many things can have an idolatrous effect on people's life. The craving for power, the place of tradition, sensuality, or people's feelings. I have a good feeling about it, so it must be right shows how the idle feeling determines what we do or not, what we like or not. Well-known idols today are things to which people flee because they can't handle the reality of life. Could be drinking, or drugs, or to sex. Could also be your work, your possessions, your status, which control you so much that everything has to go for it. As John writes, 1 John 2, verse 16, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, for our salvation, for our happiness and joy in life, for peace and trust and confidence, we are to seek the Lord alone and the Lord always. Just note in our Lord's Day how often the word all and only occurs. There are no other purposes, no alternative solutions, no avenues of escape for the children of God, but to seek their heavenly Father to trust Him in His love. Is that how you live, beloved? Do you trust the Lord your God with all your heart? Oh, I know how difficult that can be, especially when life is difficult, when death is looming, or when the pressures get too much. How difficult it is to give up on things, on people in whom we put our trust. How hard it is to throw away crutches and rely on the Lord in our struggles. How easily we are inclined to be totally obsessed by a job, a project, a goal, a career, or the like. Then all these things may be important. Yes, they may each have their place in our life in the world, even in our life before the Lord, Yet the Lord wants to be our one and all. He should determine His will for our life. That's why His Word be central in our life, and His law as His will for our life with Him. 
the beginning of a new life. And the wisdom for a happy life, therefore, is to serve the Lord our God as the awesome God with deep respect, with all our heart, soul, and mind, and all our strength according to his will. Amen.